Welcome to Unsolicited Bridge Picks. I am your host, Charles Winkleman, and with me is, as always, Rebels, the artist formerly known as Gabrielle. We've taken a little bit of time to do this episode, um, but we are hoping to get back on track and uh, start maybe even weekly. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, maybe if we do topics that uh, I know more about. Uh, <laughs> but, I don't know. Yeah. I, I got two kids. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Uh, <laughs> All right. I'm excited about this. It's been interesting. Wait, wait. Find us on Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. To keep updated about future episodes and also to continue to follow the stories that we've already talked about. For example, if you want to learn more about how uh, Del Pozo is whoring himself away on uh, <laughs> on all sorts of media outlets, you can follow us and we'll Ooh, tweet those yeah. out for you. At Unsolicited VT. And that's, that's really Gabrielle. Yep. Uh, um, if you want to follow my unhinged rants, and let me tell you, I got many, many that do not make it onto this podcast oh, yet. It's special. Uh, it is at Shadow Mayor BTV. My most recent rants have been about the axe throwing place. And now we have one of those party buses where people can sit at and drink uh, oh, around geez. town. So that is now a thing in Burlington. Welcome to COVID hell. <laughs> All right. In this two-part episode, we're going to connect Vermont's two glorious downtown pits and the tribute they pay to private companies revitalizing blighted this areas. This is not the greatest pit in the world. No, this is just a tribute. <laughs> That's um, all I'm going to offer to this like, episode. Okay, this is what I was I was thinking about. I think these two pits are kind of like the twin scars in Heath Ledger's Ooh. Joker. They're garish for sure, but um, they're full of stories. So yeah, of course, we're talking about the demolition site of the Burlington Town Center as part of the City Place Redevelopment Plan and Newport's own downtown demo site abandoned after the EB-5 fraud charges leveled against um, Bill Stenger and Ariel Kiros. First up... The Burlington Pit, the crown jewel of Burlington, the mayor's... <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Weinberger's <laughs> wistful wishing. There you go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so His legacy. this is a, a hole near and dear to Charles, probably because it reminds him of that nagging emptiness inside the potential site for Burlington City Place. Um, I, I actually suggested that we should put a giant replica heart uh, in the pit because clearly this town has no heart. And I think this would just solve that problem. It would. Not, not housing for anyone or you know homeless people or, or those who are, are uh, struggling. Uh, no, just a giant heart. The reason I, I suggest a heart is because the mayor is finally following through on his Moran plant uh, oh. redevelopment, which is going to be a orange steel structure. That's mm -hmm. it, That's, uh, not I housing. Don't hear about that. He said it's oh, gonna geez. be the Eiffel Tower of Burlington. Oh my God. Well, technically the architect said it. Okay, but, okay, great. But the mayor quoted it, which might even be more embarrassing. And, and like at least is... the architect has to sell his bullshit. That is part of the uh, waterfront tiff. Yeah, yeah, so there's there's yeah. a lot of connections. So um, the City Place project was pitched as a way to revitalize a blighted area, an area that could use sprucing up to boost property values and taxes down the road. This was a public-private partnership that was going to connect two of the dead-end yeah. roads in downtown that were adjacent to the mall. And the thing about that is that those roads used to connect before urban renewal. So when urban renewal happened, they built the mall there and the city, I heard, either sold or gave away the roads. Um, mm -hmm. All the Italians used to live there. All that's left now is heartache. They're going to build a 14-story re retail business residential behemoth. And that was six years ago, although Don Sinex, yeah, he bought it, what, seven years ago? 2013, and, right? Yeah. yeah. 
So this has been going on for seven years. Yes. And as much as people like to blame Burlington's red tape for development, this, that wasn't really the problem this time. And it, it replaced a mall. You know, as we all know, malls are for the most part dying, especially in COVID times, but even before pre-COVID times, malls were dying. And so it made sense to want to redevelop this space. You know, the mall was built in the 60s or 70s. It was getting old. It hadn't been rehabbed <laughs> in a long while. It was kind of a depressing place. They slowly whittled down the food court till there was, was just so like sad. One, so sad. one food choice left. <laughs> but also at the same time, because we live in a amazing country, the mall was one of the only indoor spaces that was semi-public. We, when we would bring kids downtown, we would often, you know, eat snack there if it was raining or something, because that was like the only space that had tables and chairs set up. Yeah. Where no one was going to like force you to buy anything. Yeah. So it served a purpose. It had a purpose. But uh, Burlington Free Press most recently described it a couple of days ago as uh, a stark reminder that all is not well in downtown Burlington when its core is an empty lot of weed-infested dirt hosting a wow, pile of unused steel beads. weed-infested dirt. I've never <laughs> felt angrier at a weed before in my life. Someone should show up there and just throw some pesticide on those fucking weeds. Fucking tired of these weeds in that fucking pit. <laughs> gonna call the cops on those weeds. This episode's gonna be very unhinged. Here we are, and uh, questions we're, we're looking to answer here... How did we get here? Who are the key players here? And should we be calling this a failure or unrealized potential? And, and um, the reason this is a two-parter is because in the second part, when we talk about the Newport pit, we're really, I think, going to connect how these two pits are related. Cue the monorail song. That's it. That's all I got. Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine, bona fide, electrified six-car monorail. what I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right. Monorail. 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 I hear those things are awfully loud. It glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the truck could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us bread-dead slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No good, sir. I'm on the level. The ring came off my pudding can. Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. What's it called? Once again. Yeah, let's start with a description of the King Grifter, Don Sinex. The Winkleman Free Press describes Don Sinex as a squirrely little man, a Wall Street bravado, a banker with zero morals and even less scruples, negative scruples. No, Don Sinex, uh, essentially, in 2013, he showed up to Burlington promising the world. His connection to Vermont was very nebulous. He owned a $2.2 million estate in Rutland. And it appeared that the big reason it was there was really because he has a daughter who was just going to some private school there in the area, like a very hoity-toity private school. He has a very Trumpian charm to him. Like, from what I've heard, when he comes to Burlington, his favorite place was E.B. Strong's Steakhouse. To him, that was the finest dining. What? Uh, he came from this playboy, New York City, Wall Street sort of uh, environment where, you know, he could do pretty much whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. And so he came to Burlington 
and wanted to be a big fish in a very small pond. <laughs> he had a quote-unquote development company that had maybe developed like one building before. Devonwood, because every grifter cannot get personally sued, <laughs> bought this, this decaying mall or, you know, this struggling mall and promised to make something great. So he was the one who initially came in and bought it with Devin Wood in, in 2013. Yeah, he was essentially the sole owner and the face of the project. Who did he buy it from? How did he, he buy it? He bought it from like one of those multi-billion dollar companies that owns malls throughout the country. And they were just trying to get rid of some, some of their uh, less profitable developments. He buys the property and then he makes a proposal to the city. Is that how that works? Like He, he essentially said the only way he can make the project financially viable is if it was the tallest building in Vermont, at, at least 14 stories, I think. So 2016, Mayor Weinberger and the city council is interested in, in this redevelopment, saying that reconnecting the city's grid is one of the most appealing facets of, of the project and excited about bringing more housing and offices, commercial and retail space to downtown Berlin. Yep, yep. But in order to have that happen, there are a bunch of things that need to be voted upon. Mm -hmm. There are proposed zoning changes that are put on as a ballot item. Yep. The previous zoning allowances for building height, which anybody from Vermont knows that we're pretty proud to keep things small and oh, yeah. short, like our beautiful people. <laughs> not all of them, not all of them. I've always been proud about as, as a Vermonter and somebody native to Burlington, I've been like, yeah, like our biggest city doesn't have any really tall buildings and we don't have billboards and our capital is the only one in the country without a McDonald's and like all those right. quirky things that make us proud of being Vermonters. And so the upper limit for height was either 65 feet high or 105 feet high if the building or development has public amenities. But here Sinex was saying to make this a viable project, the zoning would need to allow him to have a 160 foot building because who really needs to be reminded that you know the lake and the adirondacks are are just a little bit further away right? it kind of it kind of made me think of a giant middle finger just like coming out yeah, from just, the city it's just thrusting just it fuck yeah. you or just an unnecessarily obvious raging boner at the thought of public private partnerships there's two ballot items both of them passed by a decent percentage one was allowing the new downtown zoning district that allowed for 14 stories and the other was to allow for 21.8 million dollars in tax increment financing there was a special city election on november 8th in burlington and the issues here were one adoption of za 1614 Shall the amendment to Appendix A, Comprehensive Development Ordinance of the Code of Ordinances of the City of Burlington, identified as ZA 1614 Downtown Mixed Use mm -hmm. Core Overlay, mm -hmm. be adopted by the City of Burlington? Yep. yep. I mean, it's, such it's, a clear Isn't question. that so simple to understand? Yeah. Why would you say no to that? People just say yes because they want to sound smart. They want to be like, oh, yeah, I totally understand that. I'm going to say yes. Imagine uh, if you're reading that and English isn't your first language or maybe it is your first language, but maybe, you know, you never made it through school. Really easy question to understand. No, but the thing is, it doesn't matter if you don't have the context for what they're asking. Even if you can understand the words that they're saying, you don't understand what they're asking. No, not at all. Which is why people generally will vote yes when they're confused. Uh, right. I mean, I don't have the studies to back that up, but maybe we should look that up. But I feel like, yeah, you're going to vote yes. I'm voting yes on this conversation. I'm not confused. <laughs> Was it item one and item three? Uh, it was three and four. Three and four. Okay, because four is the 
secure indebtedness for public improvements. Yeah, real simple language. I don't understand, Gabrielle, why you're reading this and having trouble figuring out. I'm just I'm kidding. sorry. I'm just messing I'm with sorry. you. I'm sorry. No, they're terrible. <laughs> I, I think what was so fascinating was that the mayor's, so his committee spent 41000 There was another group called Together for Progress that was mostly run by the Burlington Business Association. Woohoo, BBA. The County Regional Planning Commission, Lake Champlain Chamber of Commerce, Local Motion, and AARP Vermont which spent another 15000 And then Don Sinex's company spent 5000 I mean, when, when I think when we talk about this public-private partnership, what is so fascinating is that when it came to selling this project, Don Sinex, who's the person who'd be making all of the money from this, spent one-eighth as much as everyone else did put together. We, uh, we did the work for him. So this uh, the special election happens, and then... Your boy ran for city council. Charles ran for city council, has always been against this. So there was a couple of things that were interesting about that, is that I was chair of the Burlington Progressive Party, and we put out a statement that said Burlington is still not right. for sale. And we, we put up all the reasons why we didn't support this project. And some of it had to do with the fact that they were just fucking lying. Like, it was just straight grifting where they were like, it's going to create thousands of new livable wage jobs. When it was, when you looked at the project and all it was going to do was transfer some jobs from other parts of the county to Burlington. Right. That's not creating new jobs. There's no, it just, it just isn't. They promised the housing was going to be like particularly for working class people, which, you know, wasn't really true. It, it was just this whole giant lie upon lie that they were selling. And, and people who were voting for numbers three and four, the ballot items, they were voting for the specific project as it was right. sold. And the suit that was filed alleges that the ballot language falsely stated that all the properties in the established waterfront TIF district would work to pay off the debt, when in fact, the legislature's approval of the TIF project designated just three parcels mm -hmm. in, in the TIF district, all of which were owned by the Burlington Town Center, BTC. The suit was saying basically that the plan to actually pay back this development with the property tax was not clearly laid out enough. And so voters could not possibly be informed of the of the financial risk that these, these TIF bonds pose, right? Because with these TIF bonds, taxpayers end up footing the bill to pay off any any debt if the if the project doesn't actually come to fruition which i mean probably won't happen right like we'll probably but... in four years already be generating great new tax revenue from this beautiful brilliant erection we need a schoolhouse <laughs> rocks video to do tiff funding oh my god uh, we, maybe maybe we should work on that and record it and we can add it to this after. I don't I don't know. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about Don mm -hmm. Sinex is that after he bought the mall, he kept using this language that was just like fucking insulting. He was like, downtown's dead. It's a dying center. It's a shithole, essentially. Like this guy who's not even living here. Like I can say that. I've been here 12 years. Downtown's a shithole. But mostly because of all the boutiques. Charles. It's all of the fucking boutiques that are oh, expensive. Yeah. Shithole in that regard. And, and the chain yeah. stores and etc. It's gentrified. I wonder how many people who are my age, you know, like 30, 30. <laughs> in their 30s. I wonder how many people just in general in different communities in, in the country feel like they've seen their communities change to this extent. Where it's like you leave for eight years and you come back and you're like, what? I don't recognize any of this shit. Um, you do recognize it because it's every other fucking place. I mean, that's and, and that's capitalism and, and globalization. Is it's just you know down uh, Church Street. The only thing that makes Church Street unique is that there's no cars on it. 
the businesses are the same. Thayer Street in Providence, you know, where I grew up, um, you know, that's all like urban outfitters and, and expensive boutiques now. Listen, it has the original scoop shop, okay? That is now owned by Unilever. So fuck <laughs> off. Yep, there's a Ben and Jerry's right off of Thayer Street too. Uh, I mean, oh. it, it's just it's this, uh, you know, the, the blandness and commercialization of, of every space. But anyhow, the reason I went on my rant about Don Sinex uh, was because he kept calling downtown a shithole. And he kept being like, oh, the mall, it's dying. It's falling apart. No, it turned out that he was purposefully not renewing leases and just not telling oh, anyone and then going to the media and the mayor just parod- parroted it. And then being like, oh, yeah, look, all these other stores left the mall. That's and it cute. was, and yeah, there was like a, a free press article and it was like, no, it's because you actively chose not to. And then a bunch of others didn't want to because they, you know, they had the clear eyed understanding that this project was going to be a fucking disaster. <laughs> and that trying to, trying to raise a quarter of a billion dollars to build a 14 story monstrosity uh, probably wasn't going to work. Going back to TIFF. <laughs> Let's talk about tax increment financing, which is the T to the I to the F tax increment financing, a form of financing that allows municipalities to to pay for public infrastructure that's going to spur private development using bonds. I don't know how much I need to break this down for, but you know, a bond is is something that needs to be repaid. It's kind of like a loan. James Um, Bond, bond bailsman. Um, (laughs) uh, Napoleon Um, bond apart. I mean, I think we've hit the important bonds. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So these bonds are later repaid usually over uh, a time frame of a couple of decades often like 20 years for example after the development is completed so once the development is completed you get this this shiny new property that has a, a higher tax rate that generates more tax revenue right so based on this increased value of the private development in this tiff district there is an increment of the tax revenue, right? That's the tax increment financing part. There's an increment, a a portion of that tax revenue that is used to repay the bonds. So how do you get a TIF district? Because this development needs to happen within a TIF district. So how do you get an area to be approved for a TIF district? One, it has to be a blighted area. So in theory, it's an area that really needs to have this kind of funding. Otherwise, the assumption is if they don't invest in this area with a private developer, nothing's going to happen. And it's just going to keep being an area that slips further and further into decay. And I, I don't want to get too ranty about this, but this is essentially how a global capitalism works and in, in global finance, where it'll move around depending on places that are decayed and where the community has been so disinvested over the course of decades um, that they're not able to, say, raise the money needed to do that work themselves. Mm-hmm. What's funny about this is that downtown is not, that's not the case anymore. Like maybe in the 80s when the waterfront was being converted from industrial use, but like the downtown is pretty built up at this point. So. Yeah. And, and that's one of the common critiques of TIFFs is that while the initial idea behind it, investing in places where normally you wouldn't have that, an example of a successful right. TIFF project was actually in Newport where they needed to extend a sewer line to support three new companies. So that sewer line increased the property tax revenues for the city and the state education fund or whatever. Like, great, that was not an area that was being invested in. It needed some funding. 
that's how they got it. And that, that also, I do have to say, extending a sewer line is a pretty specific and finite thing that's easy to get your head around. You don't have to jump through a ton of loops to get yeah. funding. You know, it's a, it's a small project. No, but... and, and, and if, if the building or the business fails, you still have a, a fucking sewer line. You still have the infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, and that's the whole thing. The TIF is suppo supposed to support public infrastructure. And I wonder where it crosses the line for like infrastructure projects to like the whole crazy re redevelopment of a, a huge mall. I don't know. M maybe I don't know how to define infrastructure. But no, and, and, and part of the TIF was is that it was going to fix up all of the roads around and, and re right. buy That's up the, the roads that were that were removed and rebuild those roads. Right. So maybe use TIF money to uh, fix those parts that are explicitly, you know, infrastructure, infrastructure that, stuff. That should be done but... regardless of, of it should be done regardless. And maybe maybe that should be like a government thing that they do instead of having a private company. Anyhow, problem number one with tax increment financing is it usually ends up being in places where investment is already yes. happening in order to maximize returns from increases in property taxes. Yeah. Like the downtown of Burlington, you can call it a shithole or whatever all, all you Commercial want. Commercial rents like, are crazy down there. Yeah. And, and there was constant investment. There is constant investment, even though for the last two years, we've right. had this huge hole in the middle of it. Other critiques the are- but for clause, which is my favorite. Um, mm -hmm. That is that is exactly what we were just talking about, though, is the redefining blighted, right? But right. For... The argument essentially is this project could not happen, but for this TIF money, which is like, it, it, there's many reasons that that is entirely you, you you can't you can't decide that because that's not how economics works you can't just like uh take out these two things and then do some magical sort of study to see whether you would have been able to build those roads if if the development hadn't happened or if the development would have been successful like there's no way to detach the two and so the idea right. that it can only happen but four is is it's unaccountable it, it's it's bullshit you know right. normally if you're a private person and you contribute 20 million dollars to a 250 million dollar project and the owner of that project is saying the only way that this project can succeed is with your money you would be a part owner in the project you would own about 10 percent of that project if you were investing 20 million dollars if it was two private mm -hmm. individuals um, but because of how public partnerships work what happens is the city takes all the risk and the the private business gets the reward and so you know we, we didn't get any equity out of that we don't own the city doesn't own 10 percent of that right. project charles you wrote about tax increment financing on your on your blog charleswinkleman.com if i can make a plug there but it's um, not been updated in a year it's not plus. been updated since del pozo debacle yeah. but yeah. um i think that's a good mic drop anyway <laughs> we can maybe add a link in the podcast also to just to this it, it's a quick read it's you know like a three to five minute read about about a bunch of the uh bones that uh we've we've got to pick with with tips the but four is one and, and you you also pointed out in this that the vermont state auditor doc hoffer he hasn't explicitly said it but essentially it's like you can't prove it it's it's a theory that is improvable and we should stop giving money i mean that's my impression maybe not his uh, but the other the other reason the TIF funding is utter bullshit, which is why like every other town in Vermont that's like has at least a thousand people is trying to get a TIF district um, is because it takes money out of the education fund. Right. And because of the way Vermont public education is funded is it's equalized across the whole state. One of the only states to do that. It is the least regressive way to do it. It is not progressive, but it is the, the least, least regressive. regressive. When I was in elementary school, I definitely benefited that going to school right. in the old North End. Great.
essentially what the the city is able to do is you know take out anywhere from 15 to 30 million dollars over the course of many years but take that money out of the education fund and the rest of the state has to make it up well but and it's not just the education fund right it, it ends up siphoning off funds from a bunch yeah of half different... half is education and half is uh you know goes into the state coffers for others which things. essentially means that people who are paying property taxes are subsidizing the TIF project development costs, right? So property taxpayers are subsidizing this this private this private project. And so are renters. Up front and later on, because later on, it's not uncommon for property taxes to make up for that shortfall or the gap in property taxes that rather than arriving to the municipality are paying back that development investment, right? Yeah, and and it's just it's just millions of dollars of giveaway. Like you know, a project like this, Don Sinex would have made the most from this twenty-two million dollars investment, but all the other downtown landlords would also make a good amount of money off of it. And that's kind of the problem with gentrification and and how our system works: is the more you invest, the more properties are worth, the more gentrification happens. Uh, with without some sort of rent control or or property value control or whatever it might be, there's there's nothing you can do um, to keep that from happening. Unless you have a giant fucking pit that uh, stays there for a decade. So so to recap some of these critiques, we've got the butt fork clause, right, that is unprovable and misleading. We've got the issue of defining blighted and the fact that instead of actually helping like low income areas that really could use this kind of uh, boost, instead it's, you know, we're investing in places where investment's already happening by way of that also accelerating gentrification. We have the siphoning off of public funds. There's the complicated dynamic here of using public funds for private interests, but, but then one of the things that I find most troubling is just its implication for the democratic process in our cities, right? Essentially, this leads to problems with transparency and kind of the creation of a shadow budget. It's an easy way for politicians to funnel money to uh, their favorite developers, or even even if that's not really the relationship, they're signing off on this project. And there's no way for example, our city council, there's no way for them to know what's actually happening. There's no way for the public to know. I mean, that's and that's the best part. There's it's, no oversight. There's no, yeah, there's no accountability. There is oversight, but the oversight is the council and mayor who can only talk about these things in executive sessions with lawyers because they signed agreements saying that right. they couldn't. Yeah, they can't talk about it because of corporate privilege, which is... Which is insane. It's like, well, then why even have a city council? <laughs> I mean, I think that's what we've seen is, is as uh, the, the project has fallen apart, that if more people knew about it, maybe there would have been a more pushback earlier on. What I think is really fascinating is that there's two things. One is that the idea that TIF districts actually help people doesn't make sense because at best you're helping landlords and people who can buy land in Mm -hmm. uh, these areas get richer, but that money never never trickles down to workers or renters. The other thing that I think is funny is that the mayor, uh, Weinberger, when he sold it, he sold it as a win for keeping property taxes low by growing our property tax base. Um, and, And what's fascinating about that is my understanding about property taxes, how it works, is that it actually gets worse. The, the wealthier people are in an area, the more they actually suck up resources. Because most <laughs> people aren't going to be, you know, whining all the time that there might be some trash in the road or, there, you know, there might be a park that might be looks a little disheveled at times. But yeah, $22 million. Think about all the shit you could do with $22 million. You could fix all the goddamn sidewalks. Increase the property tax base. Look how well it worked in Detroit. That place is great now. 
No one's in poverty. <laughs> a child's understanding of economics. I'm sorry. Go on. So this um this pesky lawsuit got in the way of advancing the development, yes. right? In July of 2017, there was an agreement where they they settled this suit and the suit was mostly about parking because there's oh, there's right. some like city ordinances about how many parking spots there needs to be downtown because a lot of it I I think my understanding is that like businesses downtown get charged or the landlords get charged mm-hmm. to help defray a small part of the garage upkeep for anyone who you know reads any boring urban planning books you'll know that parking garages are one of the most expensive things that you can build and you never truly get your money back but um, that was a part of it you know they were like okay well you got rid of this giant parking garage you need to make sure you're you know how in this new project that you're creating how are you going to make sure there's still public parking so that we don't lose those parking spaces because parking is so hard to find downtown as is Mm -hmm. the other part of the lawsuit involved part of the space was supposed to be open to the public and be community space Mm -hmm. At first, that was going to be like a community room of some sort. And then it became a rooftop restaurant where you could also, there was a small spot for the public to look out over the lake. Because in Burlington, there's just not enough views of the lake. But the higher you go, the better the views are. That's science. And so that was a part of it. Then another part of it, the promise was that the city was finally going to take the heat from the McNeil wood chip burning plant and oh use the gosh, heat from that, that to uh, called the heating district. It's it's an idea that's existed for 30 years. This mall was finally going to do it. All about and then that. on top of that, there's an amazing VT Digger article where essentially the CEO of UVM Medical Center, man makes over $2 million a year, essentially said that the mayor had a, a goddamn tantrum in a private meeting because the only way this project was going to work, if they agreed to rent out space there at a loss to them of a million dollars a year for 20 years. So we're talking like, as a grift, like but there's UVM so many has, moving parts. The UVM Medical <laughs> Center has stayed on board for all this time. So there, there are these hurdles in terms of winning over public support. And so development is not moving along at the timeline that they had initially proposed and then at some point, Brookfield becomes the majority partner in the po- project with 51% control, while Sinex's Devonwood retains a 49% stake. This is great. Classic Sinex. Switch and bait, let me tell you. He runs this project. He's like, yeah, I don't have the $250 million myself, but I know lots of Wall Street bros. They're going to be so willing to give me them. They're going to throw the fucking money at me. They're going to be <laughs> begging me to do this project. They don't. And the city's like, all right, so you got the money? And he's like, I just need a few more months. It's happening. Doesn't happen. Then it doesn't happen some more. <laughs> years later, two years into it, finally gets Brookfield Asset Management. This is in 2018, is it? I think it was 2018. Yeah. But here's the best part. He keeps saying he is majority owner. Oh, right. And Brookfield Asset Management does not question it. Because I think they wanted to be kind of a silent partner. They didn't want to have to deal with the local politics of it. Right. They're, they're a multi-multi-billion dollar company. Right now they're working in Brazil and they're working with uh, Bolsonaro, that wonderful fascist. They're trying to buy up state-owned municipalities and privatize them. But yeah, they essentially like lied the entire for like a year plus. They were like, yeah, Sinex in charge. And then Sinex kept fucking shit up. And then eventually they were like, shut up and go away. And they were like, we're in charge. Part of the reason that he is such a disdained figure at this point is he, he kept pushing to start construction, whether or not he had the funding, right? 
and basically yeah. blaming the city council and blaming the mayor and saying, I can't go forward with this unless you guys approve it. Like I've, I've got it under control, but we've got to start this as soon as possible in order to actually finish on time to get the return. And and so Sinex was saying that back in 2017, he was saying that BTC Mall would, would keep losing something like $270,000 a month in lost rental and maintenance payments. And then he also was saying that while construction was delayed, this is from Vermont Digger, another $240,000 a month he would lose um, in other expenses to keep them all operating. So he's saying, you know, there's basically every month that we delay this this development, we're losing half a million dollars. Um, Which is insane. There's no way that's how much they're losing. <laughs> I have no idea. Numbers mean nothing to me. They were getting property tax breaks. They, the, the state agreed to that they wouldn't be charged any sales tax on a project of this size. That's going to be like a million bucks. Like, I mean, the, the idea that they were losing half a million dollars a month I mean, the Sinex, he's just, he's, he's a guy who's willing to lie, uh, yes. no matter what it's about. But the best part is, is any time this got into the news and any time there's like a quote from any city councilor or the mayor, their response was like, we don't, the city can't do anything. And so it's like, well, then why the fuck are we involved yeah. with this? And, and so then, then they get the go ahead for demo. They do the dem- demolition in, in 2018. That was when Brookfield was signed on. And then there was more stalling because we still didn't know where funding for the next part of the project was coming from. But at this point, there's this pressure because, well, now we've got this big hole in the ground and uh, city councilors were worried about another uh, Newport pit because this was right after Kiros and and Stenger were charged with fraud. And so all of a sudden, this Uh this other uh, concern emerges. I I just want to add here, Brookfield Asset Management took control in February of 2019 after being a silent partner. And Mayor Weinberger responded to the news by telling VPR, I would drop the cautiously now. I am right. optimistic. Right. But so here in 2018, when they, they've, they've done the demolition, and now Sinex is seeking a waiver from the city council to go ahead with pouring the foundation, right? Because we, we got to be pushing these things again, ahead. And Weinberger is in support of this waiver saying that Sinex had plenty of financing for the foundation project. So it's like, okay, we, we got the demo, we've got financing for the foundation lined up. And, and other supporters are saying like, yeah, let's let's just take one step at a time while Sinex is getting the rest of the financing lined up, right? And that's how this has been done. Just uh, piecemeal. One, you know, one step at a time, we've, we've built that bustling city center. Thank goodness. Um, my favorite Sinex story, and this happened in October of 2018, where it turned out his vice president of finance uh, got scammed $30,000. Oh, nice. And this was, uh, this was in 2016 she got scammed. What's amazing is that Sinex, like this other guy, got mixed up into it. He was just like delivering the money. He didn't know what was going on, but he ended up getting caught. Sinex wanted like him to go to jail for decades or something. And then the best part is, is that Sinex was like, oh yeah, now that we lost this money, employees don't receive an end of the year holiday bonus. <laughs> Over $28,000 on a $250 billion oh, project. He's just a, such a fucking No, but my, my favorite, my favorite quote that I've heard in, in reading this is that, is that with, with regard to this whole thing, like the uncertainty around the foundation, there were some arguments between Don Sinex and uh, PC, PC Construction, Construction, right? Yeah. We don't know the details of that, right? Because that was never 
public what was going on there. <laughs> but he wrote in an email, Sinex wrote right. in an email that there will be no conversation with Brookfield on this matter, whether you want it or not. Brookfield is investing $56 million in the city and you do not know the frustrations and problems we have suffered with PC. And I leave it up to Brookfield to make its decision regarding PC with no influence from or by the city. And, <laughs> and then this is my favorite. I manage this project and I am not a school child. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, it, nothing says that maybe you're a bit of a you're childish not a school child. jerk when you finish an email saying I manage this project and I am not a school child. Hashtag not a school child. <laughs> Hashtag not all school children. Am I right? <laughs> Just everything about the project has been amazing. And one of the things that was so funny is when I was running for council after having written this letter, which I got in a lot of trouble for, good fun. I was running for council and at the time the mayor had said people who disagreed with this mall proposal were reactionary fringe. That's right. Oh, that's all right to the heart. And at the the, the time, reporter Katie Jickling uh, for seven days, she called me and she said the quote and I was just like, oh no, the mayor didn't say that about me. She was like, let me check. And so she checked and called back 20 minutes later and was like, yeah, you're included in that. Yeah. And so uh, when I was knocking doors, I actually ran into my opponent and the mayor. You know, I don't know if my opponent would ever admit it or the uh, Democratic Party operative who was with him at the time. <laughs> but I asked uh, Mayor Weinberger to apologize for calling me reactionary fringe. I said that I thought the language was uncalled for. I thought that there was some serious concerns that he never addressed. And he told me he wouldn't apologize, and he said that I was reactionary and fringe. I guess being reactionary fringe means that you're not the guy who fucked up an entire city over the course of a decade. Uh, Yeah, so city council signs this waiver to get momentum, you know, to get the foundation forward, to keep momentum going. Nothing happens, right? A whole lot of nothing continues to happen into 2019, right? And then 2019, Brookfield starts managing the project. City officials are super excited because they think that Brookfield's going to get it back on track. Then September comes and nothing has changed. And there is conversation in the city council about whether or not the city should start pursuing legal action against Brookfield to uh, ramp up the pressure, according to Max Tracy, on on Brookfield to get things going on. And then in in October, Weinberger sends, sends Brookfield a demand. He accuses the company of violating the development agreement and asks the company to make promised payments to the city, reimbursing them for, for losses in parking revenue, right? Yeah. They demanded a little bit over $200,000. There's a lot of opportunity costs here, right? In terms of the bandwidth of our, our, of our city council, like all the attention that has been needed, which is why they uh, brought on Jeff Glassberg. So much of when the mayor and Sinex were selling this project is they said it would only work at 14 stories. There was no way to make it work otherwise. And one of the the best parts about this was that earlier this year, not only did they say that construction wouldn't begin until 2023, but they said it was going to be only 10 stories. So we spent all of this time arguing and disagreeing about this this spot zoning change. And then this other company comes in and is like, yeah, we don't we don't need the extra four fucking stories. Like, what are we going to what are we going to do with them? Who wants to live in Burlington and live in a fucking skyscraper? No one moves to Burlington to live in this. I mean, I'm thinking about other consequences of this this failure is that as of May 2020, the UVM Medical Center has not indicated any changes to their commitment to be the premier office space tenant, according to VT Digger. And uh, the UVM Health Network is projecting a $152 million loss for this fiscal year. And mm. this year in, in July, right, like so last month, city officials were threatening to sue the developer, arguing that the company had breached the development agreement and acted what? with bad faith and fraud, which is, this was great. So this was, this was when we decided <laughs> we were going to do the two pits. 
Kelly Devine, the executive director of the, the Burlington Business Association at that point was like, all right, for all intents and purposes, we're back to the drawing board. That was that's a quote from her. And this is when we hear that Brookfield is is backing out. Hell yeah. Brookfield back backs Donnie out. Boy. Sinex uh, buys him out and brings on three local partners, SD Ireland, uh, Farrington Construction and uh, Omega Electric. Getting the local boys involved. And they were all super pumped about it. It seems like they said that it was a no brainer to uh, to join in on this. Well, at the end of the day, you know, no matter what happens, they're going to own this land in the middle of the city. The, at least two of those people I know are wealthy enough they could sit on that land for fucking decades if they had to. They also could at this point just hold that pit hostage. Right. Like the, the fact of the matter is the mayor gave in to, I'm not going to say terrorists, <laughs> but Don Sinex. He, the, the mayor and city council every time, like they were like, here's the line. And then he'd be like, fuck you. And they'd be like, okay, here's a right. new line that you well, shouldn't here's, cross. Here's one of the primary bones I have to pick with, with these kinds of public-private partnerships, right? So this shift happens within this last month. And now we're looking at city council and mayor have threatened legal action because there was a development agreement, yep. which is, this is a legal legally binding thing. And Sinex yep. says, hey, I'm back. We've got new partners. We're, we're going to turn this You'll around. You'll sue me, but you won't sue your uh, your donors, so what, will what you? what Sinex wants to do is, he, like you said earlier, we're, we're shifting the, the new plan, right? Ten stories, no hotel, because COVID. And then he said he wants the city to drop legal claims. And this is a thing right. that feels so crazy, a loss to the public, like something that's undemocratic, right? These private businesses have come into the city, made all these promises, caused this huge scar in our downtown, wasted our resources in our man hours, our money, all of these other things, right? And by the yeah. way, who knows in the last six years what kind of development the city itself would have invested in and would have been moving forward or what kinds of things naturally, what kind of development and investments naturally might have appeared, right? Because there's that whole but for clause, but that's unprovable, mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't know. But it, these are the kinds of things that allow private companies to get away with these failed tips. This is not a unique situation. No. There are plenty of examples across the country in which these public-private partnerships happen. and uh, Often called downtown improvement districts. Right. Business improvement did, districts. Yeah. And, and they fall through because th there are these huge private companies that don't really have anything to lose. And if they do, I mean, if, if there are legal claims leveled against them when, you, when you're a multi-billion dollar right. company right. that's that's not Bur that big burlington a deal. cannot afford the lawyers exactly what sinex says is listen you can do that but it's just going to it's going to uh further delay this development which is kind of why you were saying that it's like they're holding this hostage right oh, so it's yeah. like well if you if you try to uh hold us accountable you're going to further delay this project and it's going to be at a cost to the city. You're going to lose a ton of money because you're going to have to deal with this legal fees. And and that has been for the for the last several years since this dem demolition has happened. That's been the case where they they don't want to keep delaying things. Weinberger's reaction to this oh, to oh Sinex's request has has been Sinex has not provided the city with, quote, the basic project information that any financial partner would require when, when contemplating a new agreement, because they, they don't have to, right? It's a, it's a, it's a private company. Like this is the, this is the whole thing with transparency and democracy going yep. down the hole. And then he said, quote, instead of addressing the city's deep and legitimate concerns, Devonwood is asking for the city to drop 
our claims against Brookfield and the developers claims potentially worth many millions of dollars to the people of Burlington to commit to a new development agreement with Devonwood now and to save our questions for later. That approach is not going to work. Brookfield and Devonwood must propose a more reasonable and responsible path forward if they wish to avoid litigation. Who knows if that will come to anything? Right. Well, and what's fascinating is none of this is what we voted for. Which is another problem with TIFFs. You vote for something and then you don't know what the fuck you're going to get. No, no. For example, I voted for a marina downtown thinking that it was going to be a public marina, not a private (laughs) one. But that's for another day. (laughs) Like what's happening now is like the new partnership is proposing to sell the streets to the city so that the city can start working on them. An appraised value of four to five million dollars. Four to five million dollars. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. You give them to us for free. And then turn the responsibility for building the streets over to the city, which is the hilarious thing with the but four clause. It's like, wait, wait a second. So the city is going to have to end up rebuilding the streets anyway, and we're going to have to pay to get the streets back. Yeah. No way is is that those two streets worth four to five million. Like if you were to build around those streets. I don't know anything about economics. If you were to build the building without those streets you're not going to be able to sell those streets to any private individual for four to five million dollars oh, right. of course not <laughs> right so like the the value the appraised value is entirely contingent on this other project happening and the city itself buying the street because no private developer is going to buy those two streets for four to five million dollars the other best part is is that the the tiff vote only had a certain number of years it had to be used within that time, right. and it expires in June. Of next year, of June of 2021. And there's no way they're going to get the project off no, the ground of by then. No, of course not. And so we're, we're going to have to go through all this bullshit again. And I think, you know, what Sinex is doing is smart. I think, as we've seen in the Burlington City Council, there's more progressives who are winning. Democrats are losing. Moreau did not get a majority of the votes last time he ran. It seems pretty clear that this project is the Democrats' Burlington Telecom, and it's starting to hurt them. And they keep, you know, now the mayor is saying, well, now I'm standing up to them. But it's like, dude, it's it's way too late for that. Like, this has been a seven-year saga of just utter bullshit. Yeah, I think at this point, Sinex holds all the cards. And if the city is not going to use eminent domain to take that land... <laughs> I don't really know what what's what we're going to do, except just long live the pit. Let us hope the pit continues forever. Yeah. Are we contractually required to mention the pit by Mouse Rat? <laughs> yeah, you can. I'll leave that to We've too. had conversations about this. Um, we have. Right, neither of us watches no, that I, show. No, I watch right? the show. I watch Parks and Rec. It is our generation's West Wing. It, <laughs> it has an oh, incredibly West. stupid idea of <laughs> politics as liberalism and capitalism and neoliberalism. Um, and... You know, uh, reasonable people on both sides can agree to everything. I mean, John McCain was in an episode. I think Hillary Clinton was in an episode. You know, like all of the fucking ghouls. People love that song because there was a pit. People love the show. (laughs) Now, I, for one, as a a entirely black-pilled human being, I prefer the Simpsons monorail song. Because I think that truly covers what happened here, where in the episode, uh, the town of Springfield has an extra million dollars, and Marge Simpson wants them to fix the streets because there's too many potholes. But a sweet-talking guy shows up to town and promises to build a monorail. And he goes to the schools, he, you know, he does all this, the right things, he sweet-talks, he, uh, 
There's a great part where Lisa Simpson starts asking him really tough questions. I'd like you to explain why we should build a mass transit system in a small town with a centralized population. <laughs> Young lady, that's the most intelligent question I've ever been asked. Really? I feel like that happens all the time in a good small town grift, you know? You're just like, oh, you're so smart. Oh, this city's so smart. Yeah. This council's so intelligent. Charles, <laughs> you said that under current city policy, we've fallen for the same trappings that many larger cities face, prioritizing the needs of developers, powerful business interests, and wealthy citizens at the expense of long-term sustained progress. So that was something that you said about this development project. I feel when like did I say that? That is smart. I, 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 I <laughs> think it was in your tiff. In the end, TIFF money gambles on the future with little oversight or proof of its effectiveness. It takes badly needed property tax revenue, money that our schools desperately need, and gives it to investors so that they can boost their profits and wealth for the next 20 years while taxpayers pick up the tab. It's time to end TIFFs and fund local government through taxes. And if necessary, maybe an occasional bond. So yeah, there you have it. The Burlington Pit and all of its pity mystery i hope we solved that for you that was the worst pun i've ever come up with yeah well we're, we're gonna try to keep you all updated on the twitter account and like letting you know interesting articles and development on on this in the meantime you can look forward to hearing about how the newport pit is connected to this pit and in the next episode we're going to be making the argument for how the eb5 visa program acted as like a public private partnership yeah yeah no? and, and how communities who have been disinvested from for so long and, you know, Burlington is not one of those, but Newport, Vermont very much is, are willing to take any grifter who comes by because they're so desperate. At the end of the day, like, the politicians are 100% to blame, but the people of Newport, how can you blame them for that when, you know, they've lived, a lot of them have lived their whole lives there and, and you know, have been entirely ignored by the, the state and the country. We're just going to see how these public-private partnership type things undermine democracy and lead to little oversight and accountability.